Welcome to the Freedom to Learn podcast, exploring freedom, autonomy and social justice in education. This recording was made at the 2020 Freedom to Learn online forum. So the session is going to be me sort of talking a bit about mutual aid, going through some examples. Um, then we're going to do some kind of group discussion work uh, and then we'll do some classic feeding back. Um, and because we're quite a small group, if you've got any questions, just unmute yourself, shout them out um, or pop them in the chat box if you um, if you prefer. Um, and also, um, uh, yeah, sort of be present in the session however you want to be. Like, we've all been on Zoom now for like, it feels like forever. Um, so if you don't want to have your video on, if you are kind of doing other things, like, that's fine. Just be as present as you want to be. That's, that's absolutely uh, not a problem. Um, I'm going to let the cat out because it's by the door. It could be 30 seconds. Bye, cat. Sorry, I've co-opted my cat's house, or my parents' cat's house for this, and she's not happy with me. Um, yeah, so the way the session's going to work is me going through some examples, we'll jump across the slides, uh, ask me questions, um, and yeah, just kind of, uh, we're quite small, so I do like engage how you want to do. One of the things we've been doing in um, other kind of workshops that I've been involved in is if people say stuff in the group that you really like, um, and you want to show your appreciation for it, put a little A in the chat box for appreciation, um, just as a nice way of kind of being like, yeah, really agree with that point, really like it. Um, so it's a good way of kind of, of engaging with folks. Um, can everyone hear me okay? All good, cool. I'm just gonna post the slides in the chat again. So the, yeah, so these are the slides we're gonna be kind of going off. A lovely picture of Kropotkin. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about kind of what mutual aid is. So, okay, so um, in anarchist thought, mutual aid is a practice, um, it's practiced as an act of solidarity um, across communities um, through reciprocal voluntary exchanges of resources, services, um, support and knowledge. Um, and it acknowledges that for the, the ability for one person to thrive um, requires everybody to thrive in that community. So Peter Kropotkin um, was a Russian aristocrat born in kind of 1842. Um, he does look a little bit like anarchist Santa Claus, kind of fine with that, big fan. Um, yeah, so he was kind of a naturalist, a philosopher, a social scientist, and later kind of like became um, sort of an anarchist or defined himself as an anarchist. He wrote a lot of books and the one that kind of, I guess, mutual aid kind of comes from is called Mutual Aid, A Factor in Evolution, which was published in 1902. So mutual aid explores the role of um, mutually beneficial cooperation and recipro reciprocity um, or kind of mutual aid um, in the animal kingdom and through kind of human societies, both in past and present. So it's kind of mutual aid as, as a book, um, as, a, as, a re as a study, um, looks at how kind of mutual aid and that um, mutually beneficial cooperation happens um kind of yeah it's happened in the animal kingdom but it's also happened through different communities through time um so kropotkin's ideas on mutual aid kind of came about in part as a response to sort of social social darwinist thought at the time which obviously focused on human nature's supposed reliance on competition and self-interest as a means of survival um so it was there to kind of like counter some of that narrative really about, um, about survival of the fittest and offer a different scientific viewpoint that said that as opposed to animals and people competing with each other to survive, they actually need to cooperate with one another. 
So it's recognised that there are kind of dual motives for Kropotkin and his work on mutual aid. So firstly, um, that sort of scientific motivation that I, I just mentioned about furthering kind of late 19th century positivist social sciences. Um, and then secondly, it was around his political and ideological um, motivation of critiquing kind of both the state, uh, but also kind of dominant, more Hobbesian Darwinist thought. So that was the sort of Hobbesian stuff was more taking kind of that survival of the fittest and really applying it to um, kind of political theory at the time and thinking about kind of like how, I guess, culture kind of is about that kind of like early stage sort of capitalism and neoliberalism that we see now. Um, so Kropotkin defines anarchism as an individualist practice, um, but it's separate, it's separate from, um, from liberal individualism, like kind of the neoliberalism that we experience now, um, by rejecting the idea that individuals need needs are met separately or independently from the society that they exist in. So Kropotkin recognises that everyone, everyone is an individual, but in order to survive, we need those other individuals in the space to be able to engage with one another. Um, so obviously, since COVID started, we've seen a massive resurgence uh, in mutual aid networks across the world, um, where local communities are coming together in order to support one another. Um, so that could be things like doing shopping for neighbours, um, sharing gardening tips and, and cuttings while we're in lockdown. We're seeing a lot more of that kind of community resurgence um, through these mutual aid networks, very localised, people offering support to one another um, and recognising that they need support in return because, because life is pretty difficult at the minute for lots of people. Um, so also it's probably worth like pointing out as well, one of the things about mutual aid um, is that it's not seen as a charitable practice. Um, so with, with charity, it's quite benevolent. It's about re reproducing kind of hierarchies that already exist. Um, but this is much more about kind of communities providing for themselves without state control um, or throughout kind of benevolent ideas of, around giving. Um, so I guess we saw that quite a bit in 2010 around um, David Cameron's big society. Like they kind of like the Tories kind of brought back that kind of charitable big society narrative with a, with people kind of coming together to do more in the community but they were using that as an excuse to remove funding for things to happen and it falling more on a benevolent charity model than a way of communities kind of supporting themselves outside of kind of state intervention. So I've got any questions so far am I talking at an okay speed as well that's good because a few of you who know me talk, know that I can talk quite quickly so this is good excellent cool so um, if we hop on to slide four, um, so I put up a couple of definitions there around anarchism and mutual aid, um, which are probably just quite useful. So the definition on the left from Ruth Kinner, Ruth is um, an academic at the minute at, um, at Loughborough University. Um, and writes a lot on anarchism in the state um, from a historical perspective. But she defines um, anarchism as a liberation of people from political domination and economic exploitation by the encouragement of direct or non-governmental action. Um, and then on the opposite side, we've got a quote here from Colin Ward. So 
Colin was um, an anarchist writer. He was also a social historian and an architect who wrote a lot about the relationship between architecture, children um, and education and town planning. Um, so Ward recognised that for anarchist educators working within the constraints and boundaries of state education, their role as educators was to challenge dominant values and encourage mutual aid, cooperation and self-governance to lay the foundations of a transition to an anarchist, self-governing and equitable community. So, um, Ward often, um, often wrote about mutual aid and self-help as a key theme in relation to children's experiences of play, describing their importance in allowing children to explore the realm of free human activity. He also wrote extensively about the lived experiences of working class communities, using mutual aid and self-help as a means of existing outside of the parameters of state provision in the market. So Ward also recognised that practices of mutual aid in everyday life within working class social relations um, and associations. So historically, the involvement of anarchists and libertarians in education, educational delivery has been well documented um, throughout history. So there's kind of quite old examples, um, things such as kind of Louise Michaels International School, Francisco Ferrer's um, Escola Moderna, um, and then Summerhill Schools as well. So along with um, critical and anarchic worker, workers' education, such as the role of the, of the international workers of the world in delivering educational education focused on working class liberation. So there's quite a big sort of broad practice um, of, of anarchism in education, um, but often it's either in very specific institute, well, say institutions, but very specific kind of educational establishments that anarchists have put together, um, or done in spaces that is linked to kind of um, to, I guess, to kind of social justice um, and, uh, and organising. So um, the, uh, there's an academic called Judith Sisua who writes a lot about the philosophy of anarchism um, in education. Um, and she talks about how there's kind of like quite an under-theorisation of the relationship between anarchism and education. Um, and also um, it's recognised as well that there needs to be a bit of a rekindling of the anarchist spirit in both um, relation to authoritarian mainstream education and educational practices that sits outside of state institutions, um, which I think probably like lots of people probably agree on, particularly given like kind of what's been going on in education um, more, weekly, more recently um, in the UK. Um, that uh, there's probably quite a big role for kind of I guess people who are sympathetic to principles around anarchism to be more engaged in in shaping education more broadly. Um, so anarchist pedagogy specifically aims to um, explicitly change state domination through direct action um, where action in the streets can be mirrored or adjusted in the classroom. So often the education part comes from the doing or the experiencing of the learning rather than being instructed or using more kind of like coercive bank models of education. Um, so one of the, the things that I'm researching at the minute is kind of the role of mutual aid within further education. So if you think about how vocational education is often taught, it's a much more hands-on process. It's much more about kind of the understanding and the doing around how something works and kind of the building. So therefore using kind of more, so anarchist education kind of quite, I think personally, I think mirrors often um, like vocational um, like pedagogy because because it's that learning through doing and it's how do you kind of then put those values of that education within within a vocational framework um, yeah so I think it's, it's super important um, so that's kind of some theory stuff 
Um, but we're going to have a little look at some proper examples. So, slide five. Um, so mutual aid like organising has been around for a really long time. So it might be like just because an anarchist wrote the book on it also doesn't mean that it's specifically an anarchist practice, um, which is probably quite important. Like it exists, you know, he wrote a, like Kropotkin wrote a study of mutual aid through societies before like the term anarchism had been coined. So like it's you know it's something that's quite fundamental to to human behaviour. Um, so the idea is that mutual aid is kind of an ethical idea um, and it, descri it describes the efforts people make to help others without sort of seeking reward. Um, and it, like mutual aid particularly thrives in local and voluntary organisations. So the Lifeboat Association in the UK, when that was established um, by William Hillary, um, was established to support the foundation of a, a national institution that was there to save the victims of shipwrecks. Um, and that was all done through volunteer practice. We see it with the RLNI now, like a lot of lifeboats are like staffed by, by local volunteers because they, they know they need to come together and they need, they need to provide that as a service for everyone who's accessing um, accessing kind of um the the sea and, and waterways um but it's a social good that like when it was started sat outside the state because the state weren't interested in it so it was a way of communities coming together um, and kropotkin kind of saw these kind of organizations or groups coming together to provide services as a really key way of um of delivering mutual aid so if you hop on to slide six we're going to look at some specific like educational examples now so most famously, um, and like Black Panther movement was really, really key to delivering lots of mutual aid. Um, so mutual aid can often be viewed as a sort of um, community resistance, particularly for marginalised communities. Um, there's a long history of mutual aid practices within racial justice and black liberation movements, um, particularly um, as a way of resisting kind of capitalism and white supremacy. Um, and that was obviously most famous kind of with the Black Panthers in the 1960s, but we've seen it again kind of have a bit of a resurgence with um, Black Lives Matter movements um, around the world. Um, so with the Black Panthers, they kind of had a survival program and it involved a bunch of different activities, um, which were mostly educational based. And these activities for the community included um, a free ambulance program, there were medical clinics, um, drug and awareness programs, um, they're running errands, rides for, for seniors. Um, and then also sort of socially conscious schools for young people, um, sorting out free clothing and shoes, legal aid education um, and early childhood education programs um, and sort of the Black Panthers early childhood education program was thought to be the first in existence in the USA um, but their kind of most famous scheme um, by the end of the 1960s was running these free breakfast these free breakfasts so um, they were running breakfast kind of clubs for 19, um, in 19 cities in schools, uh, making sure that it was about 20,000 students that had um, free, yeah, free breakfast every morning that they were getting advice around nutrition. Um, and most of the donations to provide the breakfast came from um, individuals, from churches and from, from shops. Um, and organisers were really conscious that like they were doing this as a way of making sure that kind of that community was supported. Um, and the breakfast programs themselves as well gave the Black Panthers a bit of a jumping point to amplify um, 
unpopular topics at the time around hunger and poverty. So they really use that Breakfast Club as a way of kind of broader political education and influencing as well as providing kind of something that was really needed in the community. So hop on to slide seven. We've got another example here from Canada. So, um, so within the union movement, obviously, there's a really long history um, of workers' education where unions and organised labour put effort into creating more permanent forms of alternative institutions, um, including ones that provided a range of like te technical, political and academic education. Um, however, um, as unionisation has kind of declined, so have so is this as a tradition, and we don't see it so much um, anymore with with particularly with larger um, UK trade unions. Um, so in 2008 in Ottawa in Canada, um, the Windsor Workers Action Group was established as a resource centre and community hub to support working class community of Windsor, which had been hit by recent mass unemployment. They were quite an industrial town and a lot of those industries had closed. So I think it was about 25% of their workforce kind of ended up um, facing redundancy at the time. Um, yeah, so the centre itself hosted a range of free school classes um, and was often used by other social justice groups in the area. So there was a mix of different groups accessing the space um, and that kind of allowed for a nurturing of in infrastructures of resistance um, because relationships were forged through mutual aid and solidarity just through the kind of coming together in that space it created a bit of a, an organisational kind of community hub. And then similarly in the UK in 2009, the Nottingham Free School was established, obviously in Nottingham, um, and it was a means to develop and deliver sort of more non-hierarchical and non-institutionalised radical education within the community, which focused on skills-based sharing, on the practices of mutual aid and the popular educational practices found in the autonomous social justice movements of Latin America as a means of resisting current capitalist um, hegemony. Um, so yeah, so the Nottingham... Um, um, free school I think was around for a few years and there was kind of groups that came together there and individuals that um, that delivered um, yeah various different workshops for the community in kind of quite a egalitarian way so slide nine is the last example and this is the University of the Third Way and I'm, I'm pretty determined that my next tattoo is going to say learn, laugh and live um, somewhere, somehow. It's great. Uh, so, um, so Eric Midwinter was one of the founders of the University of the Third Age, um, which delivers lifelong learning through self-help interest groups, um, described, which kind of, and he described Kropotkin's theory as a vision for a society created through a created through honeycomb of activated modules um, which I think is a really nice kind of like visual um, of thinking about what that kind of looks like um, so in this kind of midwinter um, thinks about mutual aid as community development describing its noted global effectiveness as at a local level but never transitioning into a wider national level um, as a commitment to its autonomy and self-mobilization um, as these are often blocked by national officialdom and sort of more modernization approaches um, and other values that aren't really reconcilable with community focused development um, which I think we probably see like quite often um, like 
I guess, kind of thinking back again to that charitable model where as soon as anything kind of may, maybe comes at a national level and everything's administered from the centre, a lot of that, like, autonomy then disappears for what needs to happen locally for, um, for groups of people. Um, so the, there are numerous examples of mutual aid in relation to the practice of education. Um, so, again, sort of the academic, um, the academic Gina Sassua talks about the um, anarchist notions of solidarity, fraternity and mutual aid. Um, and these are key to social anarchist understanding and understanding and theorization of education. Um, but it's hard to find how these principles are embedded systematically into education programs as a way of creating a more like morally bound education. So we can draw out like pockets and examples of where we're seeing mutual aid happen, but we're not necessarily seeing it on a broad, I guess, base. Although we probably are a little bit since COVID-19 and, and we're seeing how maybe some kind of, there's a, a bit more national kind of organisation there around things needing to happen. Um, yeah, so I guess that kind of University of the Third Age is around coming together um, and promoting, um, yeah, promoting kind of education with like, and done in a kind of a, a socially just way where people are bringing themselves to that and everyone is able to come and deliver education and also receive education. Um, and I'm going to like, point at Claire a little bit here because she works at the WEA um, which obviously has a very similar similar model um, cool so anyone I've some really good uh, resources in here which is great so yeah there's um, some suggestions in the chat around books by Colin Ward um, and also where to access them on AK Press so thank you Hamilton for sharing those that's incredibly helpful um, so next slide, we're going to slide nine. I have uh, attempted to make a graphic, but well, barely a graphic. Um, so obviously kind of, we've been through some like very specific examples of mutual aid that have happened explicitly within communities um, as a way of kind of delivering that reciprocal kind of education for, for people. But um, one of the things I guess that also happens with mutual aid is that it happens, um, it happens within both state education and in alternative provision. Um, and we can see sort of like more subtle examples of that happen um, and still see them as kind of like a revolutionary act or um, rather than a revolution in itself. So part of the research that I'm doing at the minute is looking at that role of, of mutual aid within within further education, but I haven't specifically spoken to anarchists about it. I've spoken to kind of practitioners about it and like, these are the values. What do you think about it? And they're kind of like recognizing where mutual aid is sort of happening, but don't necessarily align it to this. I'm an anarchist. This is a very specific anarchist practice, but they're seeing those values there. And a lot of kind of that idea around mutual support, um, happens anyway. Um, and I think, yeah, people kind of recognise it as needing to be something that's embedded into their day-to-day -day practice. Um, and one of the key parts of mutual aid as well is it is recognising that everyone in the community is able to participate in some way and that everyone brings something um, and that any point could like, be needing something from that community. So again, it kind of moves away from that benevolent like handing down of charity, but, but thinks about how people participate in this. Like a, a really nice example of this as I was reading through um, all the different write-ups that colleges have been doing around what their students have been doing and their staff have been doing during COVID. So lots of like colleges have been making PPE. Um, they've opened up their kitchens while the colleges have been closed for community groups to cook out of. They've given away their 
food from their catering courses for people to use. But there was one college, I think it was Buxton and Lake College, were writing a list of all everything that they'd done. And, one of, and they made sure they identified lots of different groups of students. But one of the groups of students they identified was the kind of the the students who got kind of learning difficulties um, that probably weren't that were kind of doing called like the kind of entry level um, courses. And they said, you know, these students have been at home helping their families and they've been doing stuff. So they kind of the college like actively recognised that that it's not just about the students kind of doing the, the big gestures that everyone in this community is participating and doing something and is able to take from the group at the same time, um, which I thought was particularly, particularly nice. Um, so on slide nine, there's kind of, I've identified those kind of like four different key aspects that make up mutual aid. So um, the idea is around sharing of resources, um, services, support and knowledge. Um, so I guess like those kind of like subtle things around this could be um, the sort of with resources it's around people like sharing lesson plans it's about not people not being in competition with one in it, one another and opening up kind of sharing of, of things that are useful in the classroom um, providing services so one of the things again that came out of the COVID-19 stuff was um, a college student had been running a farmer's market during the pandemic to make sure the elder residents were able to access um, able to access kind of fresh fruit and vegetables and was running kind of this as a delivery service um, in the support bit I was thinking a lot about kind of hashtag Twitter communities which is where some of my research has, has focused so thinking about kind of how educationalists use um, Twitter as a way of providing mutual support with one another by discussing topics and themes and sharing resources on that also using that as a space to connect um, and then that fourth bit around knowledge so I guess events like freedom to learn um, are a really good example particularly in this format of um, a mutual aid kind of a, approach here where everyone is participating in different ways but bringing something into that community space um, so can anyone think of any example more subtle, subtle examples I guess that fit into those one of those four different boxes or maybe sort of straddle some of them either within your own kind of educational practices or the way you've way of stuff feel free just to unmute and, and shout them out it's gonna be less of me talking now for the last half hour so. um in our homeschooling groups we have a lot of i guess you would call it services sharing because they're mm -hmm. not really resources but but people uh sponsor a playground day or people sponsor a chess club at the local library or or and i when i say sponsor i should say lead um so so we do we do a lot of that in those groups Oh, excellent. Thank you, Hamilton. Cool. Anyone else want to? Lou, go for it. Yeah, if I um, offer the um, Joy FE, which was a movement I'm involved in that sort of came together at lockdown, we run an ideas room every Wednesday online on Zoom um, using thinking environment principles, and people come and offer their listening. And they offer their listening to others who have an idea to work through in a safe space where that idea can be a seed that's not going to be crushed. And the outputs of that, to use that term, are, you know, significant changes to induction in colleges, uh, to, to curricula, to pedagogies, because people have had an hour, that's all, but a little bit, in fact, half an hour, a little bit of space to start an idea going. And what I've also noticed is how people are now collaborating across colleges to do cross-college projects, um, which is just really superb. 
Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch that kind of evolve, like just how I think basically in lockdown, it feels like people have had more space as well to engage in this kind of stuff, um, which has been really refreshing. And at some point it will make it along to an ideas room night one evening. Um, yeah, cool. Rowan, go for it. Um, oh, one network that I think kind of fits into this model is the Ecoversities Network, which is a network of um, alternative universities, which are grounded in in place and in in the land and in community and often they operate on a gift culture um and because they're they're so place-based they tend to have that a similar kind of model excellent yeah i can imagine yeah that kind of being able to do very localized support would be good cool anyone else happy to share share any thoughts or examples from that jake go for it and I, well, at the last college that I worked for, and I mean, this is something I want, it's, which is now closed down, but it's the sort of thing I'm starting thinking about the new place I'm working with and outside of that is it's like a music technology college, but we have various opportunities to speak to various groups and we got the students to sort of teach free workshops in the stuff that they were learning in their degree courses to kind of community groups and and different groups of producers who probably could, you know, couldn't otherwise afford to access them. So it was, you know, we got both, it was not, it was, it was kind of a nice opportunity as well because it got people who were working in the college and the students who were teaching there to um, get a chance to try their hand at teaching, but also it, you know, made it, it gave some access to like technology and knowledge that perhaps people wouldn't otherwise be able to but, I mean I thought it was interesting when you said at the beginning like the difference between like mutual aid and charity and I kind of thought I'm sort of thinking it was thinking about that at the time and thinking about for like how to run programs in the future where that line sort of runs when you're running like fruit like sort of free taster educational <laughs> programs as it were you know it's like how can you really make that mean something rather than just sort of throwing out little tidbits and I think partly is that is the sort of in my field is the access to technology beyond just coming in for a day and sort of seeing how it all works it's like how could you expand that so people have actually got enough access to technology so they can develop as artists and and so on you know yeah and I, I, Rina, do you want to go for it yeah uh, I was just trying to stay up on a more positive note because I was thinking that I haven't seen many of these things on my environment but um, the thing I'm realizing now is that uh, maybe some of the things that I could see as mutual aid from my perspective you know of solidarity or helping each other or joining forces or whatever uh, I, I live in Finland right uh, but I feel that here it's mm, I mean not in whole Finland but in my environment it's maybe mm, done on this neoliberal context that it's done because maybe the cost is less if you share a computer, for example, than following an idea of equality or um, environmental matters that maybe we don't need two computers but one, right? But it's more on other uh, sense. So so I'm, I'm trying to think if the elements that I can see as mutual aid or following some of the anarchist principles uh, they are used on more on a neoliberal environment, right? Yeah. So, so I think that's yeah, it's very difficult to to see some of those actions being used for other purposes than maybe what we are talking about. So yeah, and I think that kind of like point about sort of neoliberalism is is really really key. Like I guess like neoliberalism is kind of the manifestation of social Darwinism. Um, which is what kind of Kropotkin was was kind of trying to counter. So it makes sense that mutual aid acts as a really strong 
type of resistance against neoliberalism because it, the kind of values are completely separate um, and it's about kind of creating a very different, I guess, a very different type of, of community. Um, Niall, do you want to... Oh, you're on mute, Niall, I think, at the minute. Uh, oh, Can you hear me now? Yes, there we go. When I was a, I was a small school rural primary school head teacher in Scotland for about two decades. And the thing that we tried to do, we went through a major curriculum reform, was to re really focusing on place-based learning and purpose-based learning. Mm -hmm. And to try and reconceive the curriculum as a framework. So it's getting away from this notion of delivery. And what was constantly trying to make links out of the school to, to organisations that are very near and some that are very far, the two, to get the global and the local. Yeah. And then this goes completely against the neoliberal framework, which was basically what, ruining, ruining education. But to say that it's this linkage and purpose, and we found that with more that we made links to local organisations, whether it's tourism or local um, environmental groups or whatever, they would help us and we would help them. So again, it's the mutual aid, but not in a charitable sense. We're both, we're both, both of us working together, and, and and that's still an environment I'm really working in, but in a different role now, which is why I'm here. So yeah. that's makes me here. Yeah, and I think that kind of like helping each other is really important. It's not necessarily about kind of like mirroring the help that you've had or the response that you've had. It's about finding well, we, what it is that you need to bring to that community. I think. Yeah, well, we had, for instance, in our rural area, we had an area where you know the we were working with a fisheries trust on the health of local rivers and doing local research and bringing salmon into the classroom and then or working with a national trust on on um responsible use of the countryside which is very important now when we see all this messy wild camping going on constantly just doing that interlinkage school back school back so for me i was constantly trying to take the school out of the school but i found that the neoliberal framework was just trying to destroy me with targets and that was a tension for about you know, a decade and a half, a nightmare. The whole neoliberal framework, which is why I got involved with Phoenix Trust and other organisations. There's some other great organisations out there. Yeah. Have you come across the World Innovation Summit for Education? I have not, no. Well, they're, they're a great lot. You are as well. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. Yeah, if you want to pop that suggestion in the chat box, that would be good. Yeah, I'll do that. Do that, do that. Thank you. Um, Katina's asked a question as well about kind of referring back to Bruno's question, which is about um, being interested if anyone knows if there's any evidence of mutual aid action um, around basic income pilot areas. Um, so I guess where, where folks are working on kind of universal basic income, like is there is there stuff that's happening there? I think like... I don't know if um, Newcastle fits into that area, but there. But it's worth if you're on Twitter, it's worth following Newcastle Mutual Aid Network because the stuff that they're doing in the community is amazing, and that includes like educational stuff, a lot of kind of giving over um, resources and things. But I think just as a, as an example of kind of what is possible, um, New, yeah, Newcastle's Mutual Aid Network is is really really good. Um, so I'm going to break you out. We're going to break out in a minute and go and do. Um, into uh, some activities, obviously classic, uh, 
classic workshop. Um, so if you go into slide 10, I've kind of written down um, kind of what that looks like. So we're going to think about some of the examples that we've just heard and what, and from that discussion and also refer, referring to our own practice. Um, and we're going to put you into two groups um, and then you can have a bit of a chat more in depth um, in smaller groups about those examples and then I just want you to do a bit of sort of strengths and challenges around sort of the mutual aid uh, approach so what are some of the challenges that mean mutual aid is difficult to kind of like establish um, and happen um, and what are some of the strengths of a, of a more mutual aid kind of a, approach in, in education um, and then there's some space to record your thoughts as well so on slide 11 um, when we put you in breakout groups, groups it'll tell you what number you're in so group one will just just jot down some of your thoughts um, on slide 11 and then just group two on slide 12 and then we'll just come back at the end um, and feedback so you maybe have how are we doing for time maybe gonna have just sort of six minutes in groups just to write down some of the challenges and some of the strengths of a mutual aid approach oh, welcome back everyone hello excellent good stuff there's loads of stuff been written just amazing um my mouse has just sort of disappeared. So if you um do the first group do you want to just share some of your reflections for um sort of three or four minutes on on what you've written from your discussion it's the awkward bit where one of you has to awkwardly volunteer now to feedback he was in group one excellent there's a few of you let me pick one of you or you can share it just read one each um okay i'll jump in then uh the uh, yeah we we she made loads of notes yet yeah, uh, but people can still one conclusion was around the diversity of activities that this model um, uh, encourages because every contribution can be uh, equally valued mm -hmm. I suppose in a way the flip side of that is um, how to actually what we've well, certainly I find difficult it's how to encourage that without taking it over so in two angles one is how how does an institution um, encourage that without turning it into something that's within its boxes but also um, how to support people who might not have the headspace um, uh, the confidence or, or um, the resources to do something for themselves again without taking it over and without disempowering them People can add other. Thanks, Claire. Is there any more comments from Group One? Anyone else want to add anything into that? Well, I was just saying that in my field, a strength is that I mean, again, the the sort of challenges kind of I feel like all kind of sort of fell into the same box in terms of negotiating these larger institutions and their interests and and you know having something that's genuinely a community but sort of based thing or mutualist based thing um i mean another challenge that i didn't put down again in, in my section is, is access to technology but the one thing that i said that we're in a sort of field where a lot of people spend a lot of time on their own a positive thing about this is to increase communication networks and get people sort of talking with each other and the sort of massive amount of benefit that 
that can happen. So. Yeah, absolutely. Again, like one of the interesting things that's coming out of kind of, I mean, I'm literally right in the middle of this kind of research for masters. And one of the things that I've just kind of, has actually kind of like dropped today in my brain is that mutual aid is creating the conditions or those mutual aid kind of communities are creating the conditions for other types of resistance to happen because a lot of what is happening there is strengthening those social bonds between each other. Um, and that's then leading for, for other things to kind of to, to take part. Um, Katina, you've got your hand up. Do you want to ask a question or make a comment? It was that same thing. I was in group one, really. So it was just to, to add after Jake had finished. Um, I think for me, one of the challenges is the risk of how it becomes colonized, I guess. And, you know, um, so I think it's a combination of whether people have the resources to support mutual aid, which is why I was wondering about the basic income um, pilots, perhaps not just in this country, because I think that it's not just about the resources in terms of time necessarily in the same way although we know that for example for women it is more about time currently in covid and so they may be less able to do but i think it's also if you think about the findings that have come out around the increase in the amount of depression people have then whilst actually getting involved in mutual aid might be beneficial in medical terms for people's depression actually your resource to get involved may be very very much less and so whilst we might think mutual aid is a you know great idea or might benefit particular groups in education or whatever we may find quite the opposite and isn't that the classic you know anti-oppression thing where um, essentially it becomes something that is colonised by those who already have access to most of what they need. And that's what worries me, really, as a challenge. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, yeah, really, like, quite important is thinking about who, who is able to bring stuff into into this. So I think also kind of like it's thinking about how it exists sort of post-COVID, like, so a lot of the kind of the COVID mutual aid stuff has very much been about kind of, like, disaster support. Um, but then how does it be, how do kind of the values of that become a more, day-to-day practice which isn't sort of everyone rushing to do like community support every every day but how is it embedded into kind of their I guess your own kind of like personal praxis um but yeah I think it's a really really key point um group two do you want to um give us some feedback from your your slides Lou go for it um, we, we said the same thing from three different countries and I'm sure Bruno and, and Niall will um We'll, we'll dive in as well but essentially we were talking about that creative energy between people great ideas um uh, Niall mentioned the curriculum reforms in scotland in 2004 i've probably spelled the name wrong here but bruno and Niall both talked about passy solberg and you know um uh, the way in which neighborhoods mixed social class neighborhoods with the catchment so all sorts of good things um that they get co-opted they get territorialized the state says, and this was a great comment from Niall, now we're going to tell you how to do it. Localism goes out of the window. And all three countries really perhaps at different you know, points of going in the same direction, which is like really horrible to hear because we all love Finland, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just another couple of points. Um, Bruno made the point that the excellent PISA results actually came out of work that was happening 20 years ago. So there's that lag, that sort of research lag, you know, of, of catching up with, you know, what's gone wrong when it's too late. And now made the comment that actually, you know, in his local community, which is very rural, the tensions around um, 
really complex rural communities where there are strong structures of mutual aid, but also, you know, the people with money and power, um, the brokers in there as well. So um, anything else you two want to add? You did that really excellently. You summed it up really, really well. I think. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And one thing I really like that you picked up is this notion of lag, because you can have an idea that really works, and then you start to benefit of it 10, 15 years later, by which time, of course, the policy framework's shifting. And I think we need to look at longer time horizons because it's interesting that this um, whole seminar is framed in, you know, the neo-Darwinist stuff of the early 20th century. If you go back to the 20, early 20th century, you've got people, you know, John Dewey, all great ideas are going way in, back into the 19th century. And of course, we've gone, not COVID, but we've also got a, co a communications revolution that's been going on 15, 20 years now. So we're in, through, we're in another major educational revolution now we'll start to see working in 10 15 20 years time yeah yeah absolutely and yeah that's, that's how does this kind of model respond then to kind of what the current circumstances are as well as drawing from from kind of past experiences thank you now awesome. really, yeah, you wanna... thank you thank you yeah, and I think this also shows the strong connection between all the policy making and political environment of a country with education. So this could raise as well the idea that should we understand education outside of a control uh, from the government or not? And that's a huge other discussion. And yeah, but I, yeah. I think that would be something we could also have in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like there's really like strong examples of pockets of mutual aid that happen outside of, of state controlled education um, in alternative spaces. Like again, going back to kind of that Newcastle mutual aid um, example, one of the things they've been doing is kind of little pockets of, of adult education, um, like collectively in, community, in, a, in a community focused way that responds to kind of what people need at the time, but also what people are able to offer um, in that space. And how is that done in, in a kind of a, I guess, an open and kind of community-minded way. Cool. Um, so uh, if you go down a few slides, my um, cursor has just frozen, so I don't know which slide it is, and I don't dare press anything just in case everyone disappears. Um, but there's a slide with a Kropotkin GIF on there. Um, and, yeah, I just wanted to say thanks for coming along to the session and for participating. It's been really nice to do and really nice to kind of, like, see some people that I know and see some people that I don't know and talk about things that I care about. So uh, thank you, everyone, um, for participating. There's two slides underneath. There's a slide of interactive post-it notes. Um, and you can, if you want to kind of connect with anyone in the group or you want to, you're happy to kind of, like, share your, uh, like, a contact detail, whether it's, like, Twitter or an email address or something, pop your name on there. Um, and pop that detail down. So if you want to kind of pick up conversations with other people you've had in this space, you can do that. Um, and then on the slide underneath it, there's loads of resources and, and some reading lists. So on the left-hand column, all the yellow links you can click and they'll take you through to some reading and some resources. And then the right-hand column is some interesting books on mainly on anarchist pedagogy um, and, and stuff there. Um, yeah, and it's, it's been really, really, uh, really enjoyable to do. So, yeah, please do pop your yeah, contact details on there if you, if you want to. Um, 
And I'm going to be an absolute pro and wrap this up bang on two o'clock. Um, and Abby's put in the chat as well um, that we can continue the conversation on the Freedom to Learn Facebook and other channels. Um, so, yeah, so there's, um, and there's a Twitter account and Facebook and Instagram for Freedom to Learn. So please do like, go and get involved there. Um, and yeah, thanks all so much for participating. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freedom to Learn podcast. For more information about our work, check out our website at freedomtolearn.uk and find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram.